All right, so today's sermon is entitled I, Me, My, which I just now realized that I think that's a Toby Keith song. Um, Julie, Julie confirmed that, all right. I don't know if that's the official title. Uh, it, it's alternatively titled Snakes, which makes me think of Home Alone, where he's like, right? He's like, he's talking to some guy named Snakes. <laughs> snakes. He's like, why is that? Snakes, snakes, that sounds familiar, I don't know why. All right, so I mean my, or snakes, whatever you prefer. All right, so it's the fourth Sunday in Lent. Um, Lent is still my favorite time of the year, uh, as an Enneagram 4. I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts this week, TED Radio Hour, and uh, they were talking this week about emotions. And they had this guy named uh, John Koenig, on and he is fascinating. So he has uh, made it a point to to talk about and describe our most abstract and ephemeral emotions. And he has basically done this by making up his own words for these emotions. And he's made up over 700 unique words. So I'm going to read some of these to you because they're great. Um, Xenosign is the first word. Xenosign. Does anybody have any guesses what xenosign might mean? It's the, yeah, okay, Andy, what is xenosign? What is it? Overpopulation. Nope. It is the sense that time keeps going faster. It's the emotion of the sense that time keeps going faster. All right, uh, he has one called mori, which is the desire to capture a fleeting feeling. Mori. Uh, Sonder, Sonder is the word he made up, which is the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own, but you'll never know it. Uh, that's a good one, Sonder, I like that. Uh, ellipsism, ellipsism is, this is great, ellipsism is the sadness that you'll never be able to know how history will turn out, that you'll dutifully pass on the joke of being alive without ever learning its punchline. Ooh, that's good, yeah. Ellipsism, you might wanna use that this week. Um, and then probably my favorite, uh, Zielschmerch, Zielschmerch, which is the dread of getting what you want. Zielschmerch, <laughs> the dread of getting what you want. Um, so one of my favorite movies over the past few years is a movie called About Time, and uh, the main character in this movie is this son, and I've talked about this movie before, uh, the son who has this uh, unique ability. Every man in the family, his dad tells him uh, at a certain age, they come of age, the father passes on the information that uh, all the men in the family can travel back in time. So they can pick any moment that they've already lived and they can return to that moment and live it again. So he, this, the dad passes this knowledge on to the son and then the movie goes on about the son trying to travel back in time and find love. It's a great movie. Um, but I wanna know this morning for our conversation, if you could go back in time to any point in your life where would you go? What moment would you relive? If you could just relive one moment, what moment would you go back and relive? All right, take a, take a couple of minutes, talk to a neighbor. Where would you go back in time? That's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm always, uh, yeah, I'm Enneagram 4, so, um, 
what that means is my personality type kind of like typically looks back to the past, like idealizes it and uh, romanticizes the past. But I, I love art, I love music, and uh, I was listening to somebody recently talk, he's um, Michael Tilson Thomas, he's the music director of the San Francisco Symphony, and he was, he was talking about how um, he's noticed you know, do, having a career in, uh, you know, symphonies and orchestras, that there's something about a, a piece of music that will make someone so emotional that they'll, they'll cry or um, just have a really strong emotional reaction to a concert. And he said he thinks that it has something to do with the fact that uh, people somewhere deep down know that this beautiful moment is fleeting and that they might never be able to return to that feeling that they're currently having, that there's kind of this separation and sadness even in the experience of something that uh, maybe is uh, something they've never experienced before. It's so beautiful, it's overwhelming, but there's this element to it that we know that it's going to leave us eventually, which I think is really, really interesting when we're talking about emotions and uh, life and our experiences. And you might be thinking, why are we talking about all this? It seems really emotional. Um, and I think it, we're going to see if it makes any sense, because uh, the lectionary passages today are a text from Numbers, snakes, so we'll get there, and um, John 14 through 17, uh, the, some lectionary does 14 through 21. I'm actually going to read uh, 3, 1 to 21, because uh, this is a story that uh, most people probably know, John 3:16. Tim Tebow, where is it on his, right? It's very football. Um, but it's taking place in a conversation between Jesus and this guy named Nicodemus. So I kind of want to frame this in the, in the context of the, the whole story. So I'm just going to read this long passage. Uh, try not to fall asleep. Or you can fall asleep. You can close your eyes and listen. That's fine. Uh, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He was a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could desire these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus asked, how is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born anew. God's spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said, how are these things possible? And Jesus answered, you are a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things. I assure you that we speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. Harsh. If I have told you about earthly things and you, do, and you don't believe, how will you believe it if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone up to heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the human one. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must a human one be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. God didn't send his son into, into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him isn't judged, and whoever doesn't believe in him is already judged because they know in the name of God, uh, they, they don't believe in the name of God's only son. This is the basis for judgment, that the light came into the world and the people love darkness more than the light, for their actions are evil. All who do wicked things hate the light and don't come to the light for the fear that their actions will be exposed to the light. 
Whoever does the truth comes to the light so that it can be seen that their actions were done in God. Well, that's a tongue twister. Okay, so that's the end. We made it through. So Jesus in this story is talking to this Pharisee, Nicodemus, about... Um, Nicodemus obviously has uh, something that is drawing him to Jesus. He comes to him in the middle of the night. There's this kind of mysterious meeting between the two of them, and it's based on what Jesus has done as signs in the first uh, two chapters of uh, the Gospel of John. So he doesn't quite understand what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is doing with his life, this new community that Jesus is uh, developing. And I want to look at this uh, verse that uh, connects our Old Testament passage in the lectionary, which is verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Uh, does anybody remember this story of Moses lifting up this uh, snake? Everybody remembers this story. Wow, okay. Well, you guys are better at the Bible than I am because I was like, huh? I don't remember this story. And I apparently went to the school for this. Um, so I had to go back to Numbers 21 to figure out what in the world this story was talking about. Uh, but I think this story really sheds light on what Jesus is doing here in his conversation with Nicodemus and what this whole 21 verses really gets down to. And I think it has a lot to do with this uh, Moses and the snake story. So I'm going to read this Moses and the snake story. All right, they marched from Mount Hor, which is Mount Mountain, because Hor means mountain. So they marched from Mount Mountain to the, uh, to the Reed Sea, the road, the land of Edom. The people became impatient on the road. They spoke against God and Moses. Why did you bring us from Egypt to kill us in the desert where there is no food or water? We detest this miserable bread. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit the people. Many Israelites died. The people went to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we spoke against the Lord and you. Pray so that you, will not sin, so that you will send the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous snake and place it on a pole. Whoever is bitten can look at it and live. Moses made a bronze snake and placed it on a pole. If a snake bit someone, that person could look at the bronze snake and live. The end. All right. Sometimes I think the Bible is just weird, and we just have to admit that. I, uh, you know, maybe you disagree, but that's a very weird story to me. Um, and it, I think it's weird that Jesus also references this. Like, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He's like, you know what? This reminds me of the snake story. Um, we'll get there. Okay, so the, Israel's, the Israelites in this snake story find themselves in a moment of desperation, right? They're on the road. They've been rescued from Egypt. Uh, from their slavery and oppression. They're hungry and thirsty, and they want to go back. They want to go back to slavery. Uh, I think it's interesting that they say, uh, we have no food or water, and then they immediately said, this bread sucks. Like, you just said you didn't have any food or water, and apparently you have bread, so. Um, but I think this reveals something about uh, the human condition, right? We often tell ourselves, uh, kind of a skewed narrative, right? An untrue story about our current situation. Uh, we have nothing to eat or drink. I hate this bread, right? They're telling themselves this story in order to justify going back to the way things were before. Uh, have you ever wanted to go back to a time in your life 
even if it was not necessarily the greatest time. I think I've, I've been there once or twice. Uh, there's a professor of psychology named uh, James Pennebaker. He's a professor of psychology at University of Texas in Austin. And he has been studying uh, people coping with the difficulties of loss. So when someone loses a loved one or they have a uh, big traumatic experience in their life, how do people overcome that loss or trauma and move into a different kind of story. And so what he's done is he's created uh, an analytic com uh, computer program where he uh, has studies where he'll invite people in and they will write about their experience. And then the computer program will analyze their language and what they've written. And then he'll be able to, it'll be able to determine. So what he's found is that people come in and write and the biggest thing that he notices uh, among two groups of people is their personal pronouns. So people that have a difficult time uh, escaping their trauma or getting over this sense of loss, they write things, I, me, my, I, me. So they burrow themselves into this old narrative. So if they've experienced a, a difficult loss, they can't get over that because they're spinning the same circle of I, me, my, and they have they're, they're losing the ability to gain perspective on their story, and they just stay in this circular pattern. Uh, people that use other post, uh, personal pronouns or uh, pronouns like we, he, us, uh, find a way to gain perspective on their situation and overcome an old narrative and are able to transition into a new way of being, into a new story. I think that's really uh, pretty profound. And I think the Israelites are here in the wilderness longing for the old narrative. They can't quite get over uh, the fact that they are, God is calling them to move through the wilderness and into something else. They would rather spin this old narrative. So I was listening to uh, another podcast this week uh, called Invisibilia. Has anybody listened to Invisibilia? Um, all right, so uh, they started a new season this week, and it was really interesting. They had uh, several people on that experienced uh, extreme uh, losses in their lives. So they had uh, one couple from Montana who had lost um, all of their, their livelihood in uh, bees. So they were beekeepers. They lost all of their bees, and they could not get over this extreme loss. That their livelihood and identity was wrapped up in their business, their, their bee business. And so once all of that was gone, um, they were trapped in this narrative. And they had a really difficult time uh, overcoming that and moving into something else, right? And I think we find uh, Nicodemus in a similar situation. Uh, he is a person of the law. He is a Pharisee. Uh, he has experienced something in Jesus that strikes him as interesting. But he, in this conversation with Jesus, he says, how can this be? How can this happen? Jesus says, uh, you must be born again. Jesus is using this language of uh, transitioning into a newness of life. And he uses the, you know, you must be born again. And then Nicodemus is like, well, you can't go back in your mom's stomach, right? Like that. And it's like, that's a really weird response from a, a lawyer. Um, but he is resisting whatever this movement is into a new way of being. Um, and Jesus has this uh, verse in, uh, has this line in verse 14 where he says, um, let me see if I can find it. 
verse 15, sorry, so that everyone who believes in him uh, will have eternal life. So he's, he's referencing the snake story. He says, everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Uh, what's interesting about this phrase, eternal life, is that uh, we know John 3.16 is, is often used to say, well, like, all right, you intellectually believe in Jesus, and then that's like your gateway into heaven. But in the context of this conversation, that doesn't really make much sense, right? He's Nicodemus is trying to figure out a new way of living and a new way of being, and eternal life here is written um, in the present tense. So uh, Professor Rob uh, Mialis points out that eternal life is essentially this, um, quote, to have or to hold on to time. It's a movement into time in the present tense. Uh, this isn't something, uh, this is something that begins immediately. So when Jesus is offering Nicodemus eternal life, he's calling him into right now, right in front of him in their conversation. Eternal life somehow begins now. It's not a future reality, but a present one found in Christ. Um, the word eternal here doesn't mean um, eternity as a uh, lengthening of time. Uh, but it's actually defined as a, uh, a richness of how to fully live in the present moment um, that we've been given. Uh, Jesus isn't calling Nicodemus um, into what we would probably think of as heaven, but he's inviting Nicodemus to change his perspective in order to experience the fullness of life right now. Uh, Jesus is using metaphor and story uh, in the snake story to call him into transformation through a change of perspective. Can Nicodemus change his story? Can we change our stories? It's hard for us to, uh, to transform. I think it's, it's hard for us to, to change. And psych I think the psychology uh, is evidence of that. Um, but we've, when we've, especially when we've been through something difficult like the Israelites, grumbling in the wilderness. So this is why I think uh, John uh, 3.16 and 3.17 is really powerful. John 3.17 says, God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but said that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus is still playing off the snake language, this language of salvation, uh, by saying to Nicodemus, um, I didn't come into the world to, to judge. This isn't a judgment. It's purely a salvation. I'm here to bring life, just like that weird snake thing on the pole. I'm guiding everyone out of their own slavery, through the wilderness, and into a better story. There's no judgment, but he does this through acceptance and love. Uh, by looking upon this deep love, we gain the perspective outside of our narrow, I, me, my stories, that only keep us in bondage to the old story. Jesus is calling Nicodemus into a new way of living in the world. Jesus is calling us into a new way of living in the world, us into eternal life today, living life to the fullest right now, to, uh, to have and to hold, as um, uh, Professor uh, Miles would say, to have and to hold to this pre precious time we've been given, to give ourselves to something that really matters to us. Um, so I wanna, I wanna look back at the About Time movie uh, because I think it, it has a profound, um, point to make on this about living uh, in the moment. And uh, yeah, let's just watch this clip real quick. 
may we cry out to God when we're, when we're, when we're in the wilderness. Um, may we look upon the love of Jesus and find salvation that is given in pure love. May this acceptance and love transform our I, me, my, so that we can experience the salvation and life that is found in Jesus. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for um, the life that uh, we've been given. This moment, uh, our breath, the ability to find meaning and gratitude in each other, in the love that we share with family and friends. If we're in the wilderness, may we not be afraid to cry out and complain, but may we also be given a perspective outside of ourselves and the stories that we, that we tell ourselves, that we would look to you in the world, that we would find love in a new story in you and in the life that we've each been given. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just stand to our feet? Peace, and bring it all to peace. The storm surrounding me, let it break. As your name still, call the sea to still.
hands Your silence feel lifted up And Jesus, Jesus You make the darkness tremble Jesus, Jesus hey. And Jesus, Jesus You make the darkness tremble Jesus, Jesus Your silence fear Jesus 